0: You're listening to the Point of Difference podcast.
1: Paul Dillon is the founder of Data, a drug and alcohol research training program, and educates thousands of students every year about the effects of substances and substance abuse. He's been working in the area for over 25 years and even has a best-selling book titled Teenagers, Alcohol and Drugs. Paul regularly appears in the media, appearing on shows such as Sunrise, Today and The Project. Welcome to the show, Paul.
0: Great to be with you guys. Thank you for asking me to be a part of this. Yeah, no worries. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I
2: just want to start off by just asking a bit about, so you're the director and, and founder of, of Data, it, uh, the Absolutely. Drug and Alcohol Research and Training Australia. So um, what actually is that and, and what inspired you to start that up?
0: Um, well, look, it's a very strange kind of story about how I ended up doing what I do. I mean, if you asked anybody that I was at school with, um, what would I ever end up doing? Uh, talking about alcohol and other drugs, it would be the last thing. It wasn't yes. a was part of my role at all. Um, um, I left school and I went and I became a teacher. Um, I taught for quite a long time in uh, WA and then um, I just felt like I needed a change. I I left teaching. Um, I always said I'd leave teaching as soon as I started hating kids and uh, (laughs) so I I left left teaching. Um, And I did a couple of things for a while, ended up finding myself at a um, a, a working at uh, University of New South Wales at at a, a drug and alcohol research centre. I did that for quite a period of time and then school started calling and saying, um, can we have a researcher to come in and speak about drugs? And no researcher wanted to do it. They knew I was an ex-teacher and they said, um, would you like to do it? And um, because I worked, it was a research centre, they very much wanted it to be grounded in research. So not just yeah. to go in and give a talk but to say, well, what does the evidence say works? So I spoke to young people, did a whole pile of stuff for about a quite long period of time, nine, ten months, and then created kind of like a program of work, and um, then started going to schools. And I do other things. I speak to sports people. I do media. I do a whole pile of different yeah. things. But the school community stuff is kind of my passion. I love I, working with young people. And um, over the years, I think I've I adapted my talks to try to make them as effective as possible because I think it's a very kind of long convoluted story, but my, I had a, um, a cousin in England who um, we discovered was a heroin um, heroin dependent and I had to fly over to England to kind of try to get him onto a program and yep. he'd had a terrible Lots of bad things happened to him. Mm. And I said to him, what would, what would have changed your life? What was, you know, what was the problem? Why did you go down this path? Is there something that could have um, prevented it? And he said all people wanted to do was give me information they thought I needed, not information I wanted. And so that's what I try to do with young people, try to give them information that they want, not that I think they should have. The whole thing about young people is no young person wants to drink and end up in hospital. They all want to kind of have a good time and know how to keep themselves safe. And so (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of my message it's much more about um, acknowledging that there are some young people are going to do this yeah let's try and make them as safe as possible
2: so do you reckon you got those skills of talking to kids from your teaching days because you're very good at conveying that message to the students is that from your teaching days would you say
0: yeah I think so I mean yeah. teach I think teachers um you develop kind of skills um uh, and I think teachers kind of underestimate their skill, the skills that they have. Mm. And certainly, I never public speaking was not my thing at all. Like once yep. again, if you ask kids I went to school with, you know, would I ever ended up at a, as a public speaker? No way. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I love it now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I it kind of broke my heart when I did my final um, uh, session before lockdown, um, I standing in front of a group of. Um, year 12 girls in Perth and I kind of burst into tears as I finished my last yeah. one. Cause I thought it'll be six months before I do this again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I think it did give me those skills.
1: Yeah. So I guess moving on to um, <clears throat> what you sort of talk about, um, you talk a lot about drug and alcohol education for uh, people in high school. Now we like Harrison and I finished high school three years ago i guess we've seen a bit of a rise in how much we drink and how much our friends drink do you think that's a particular issue for people once they finish school
0: oh yeah well absolutely if you look at um alcohol and the drug use you know the, the age group and the gender who are more likely to drink and use drugs are 18 to 25 year olds yeah, yeah. Uh, 18 you know that's that age so you see drug use kind of Um, as much as people think that drug use is very high amongst um, high school students, and there are certainly many high secondary school students who do um, use um, illicit drugs, but um, it spikes. As soon as they leave school, it just jumps quite dramatically. Mm, Um, And it's with alcohol. I mean, mainly because, you know, you're 18, you've left school, you've moved into a... You start hanging out with different people. Um, Often you have a different income stream. When I mean, you combine all of that kind of stuff together, but most importantly, you've left the protection of school, and so you do see it just mm. jump quite dramatically.
2: Yeah, so you do see that you do see that there is a correlation between um, the free time that university students get and alcohol and drug use. Would you say
0: uh, that's certainly? That's certainly yeah. one of the other reasons. I mean, you're going from, as I said, the protection of school, where you've got a very kind of structured environment, mm. to going into Tertiary education, which is very loose, and um, and of, of course, I mean, anybody who's been through university knows that there's a heavy alcohol culture. And, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, pretty. Much, <laughs> I mean, it's very much, much, much different to when I when I went through university, where yeah. literally everything was based around alcohol. Everything, Good. yeah, I mean, It changed. quite, really? quite dramatically. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are now universities that are trying to. I mean, they used to. Um, there was a university um, which I will not name um, that every year tried to break a new um, drinking record, a new Guinness book. They would identify another Guinness book of oh, record, my really? God. A record <laughs> and then they would try to break it—a different one every year. Now, every wow. university across this country would do that today. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was only in the mid-90s. So, um, you know, things have changed. But, yeah, realistically, you know, you still see um, you're based in Melbourne, you know, you still see the pub crawls um, that universities organise and so many events. But, you know, that's part of Australian culture.
1: Yeah. Mm. Now, I guess as uni students we tend to go to a lot of events, you know, music festivals and things like that. Do you have much advice you could give to people going to these festivals?
0: Well, I don't think we'll be seeing festivals for quite a while. Yeah,
2: unfortunately, <laughs> bad timing. Yes,
0: it's going to be. I. I mean, I, they certainly won't be happening this summer season. I mean. yeah, yeah, I
2: think Force Festival's planning too, but I highly doubt it.
0: Yeah, I saw that. Um, I saw a press release that they put out, but um, I can't imagine in a million mean, years. Yeah. That. Um. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, and I've been involved with music festivals. Wow, I started working at festivals and nightclubs back in the in the in the kind of mid '80s. So I've mm. been kind of working on those kind of events for a long time. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, they're around health, around safe. My, my stuff is about you know health and safety. Um, yep. How to keep um, you know venue, uh, make venues as safe as possible um you'll love this one i a few years ago, many years ago now 1995 i think i got funded to go around the world and wow. go to nightclubs <laughs> oh, and, uh, dream to job. It. It's a terrible gig <laughs> and i would go, go to nightclubs. i went to um new york i went to uh clubs across europe london and Jeez. it was about looking at safety in venues and to look yeah. at um uh, examples of venues, because uh, it was a very big thing around that time. We had um, a major excessing death at that mm-hmm. point, one of the very first ones, and it was all about, because um, back then it wasn't necessarily the drug um, itself, that um, uh, a bone that contributed to the death. It was the environment as well.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
0: and so many people died from dehydration and overheating. And so it was about going to venues and actually looking at the different things that people were doing around the world. And, yeah, wow. yeah couldn't get a better job than that one. That
2: wow, yeah, great. not bad. <laughs> Good gig. <laughs> um, going into the coronavirus, um, there's been a few statistics that, um, that have stated that there's been quite a bit more drinking occurring during this time. Um, why do you think there has been a bit of a rise in drinking during COVID?
1: I guess how do you <clears throat> think that's going to... Or do you think that's going to flow
2: on once the
1: isolation finishes as well? Well,
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you look at the figures around um, alcohol consumption um, through the uh, COVID-19 pandemic because they vary. I mean, you can act as some... It depend, uh, there is some data to say that yes, it was, um, you know, deliver, home delivery of alcohol was through the roof. Mm. Um, there were some states that put restrictions on how much you could buy when you went um, to go and get alcohol. But then there's, um, I think last week there was some other data that came out and said if you actually balance it up and you look at how much alcohol is typically drank during a period uh, at yeah. venues, at nightclubs, and yeah. uh, balance it up far less alcohol was actually consumed.
2: Really, yeah. Um,
0: But I suppose it's about, you know, the context of drinking that was a concern through COVID-19 because, Mm. you know, um, as I've always said to, you know, if a parent parent ever contacts me and says, look, I've had my my child who's taking drugs, um, they say, what should I do? And I always go, well, just ask them one simple question. It's a really easy question. Say, Why? Why? Why are you doing this? And if they say, uh, um, "My life is crap. My, um, you know, I have no friends. Everything is terrible," Mm. then yeah, every alarm bell has to ring. But if you go, "Well, I'm doing it because I'm having a really good time," then (laughs) you know. I don't think anyone should go. That's fantastic, but yes. you don't have to worry much yeah. okay. because you're using it for a different reason. If, and that's, I think, the concern about drinking during the COVID nineteen. If you were drinking to kind of cope, relieve yeah. anxiety, stress, then that's not that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, okay. And if that if people start drinking for those reasons, then uh, you're likely to see some issues occurring. Okay. As good.
1: a flow Yeah, I guess that leads on to the next question. I guess, so we've spoken about our anxiety on a separate podcast. Do you, what are some suggestions or strategies you can give to people who do tend to, I guess, deal with this sort of stuff whilst drinking or, <clears throat> as you said, using it to cope with these sort of anxiety symptoms?
0: Well, I think, you know, what we certainly do know is that that's the most dangerous or risky form of um, alcohol and other drug use or substance use when you use it to cope. And yeah. um, if you identify that that's what you're do- if you can identify that that's what you're doing, then certainly it would be a really good idea to speak to a health professional about that and yeah. you know, try a different, a different kind of way of coping um but it's about it i mean the big thing with anything around alcohol and drugs it's about identifying that you have a problem and and um, and admitting it to yourself yeah because that's i think people go oh, no 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 you know i'm only i'm only having a couple of drinks on um you know every night and i'm fine yeah um, but if you can actually see it then, then you've got a better chance of something happening I, I tell you what was really interesting through the whole COVID nineteen. I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram and um, um, I got like twenty seven thousand young people who follow me on Instagram, which is fantastic. Yeah. But, um, and I, get, and I get like the um, I get quite a, a few kids, a few people who send me DMs and stuff, and I, I can't even respond to young people around DMs for a whole pile of reasons. Yeah, it's sixteen. I'm sixty. It looks a bit weird. Yeah. But, um, in terms of uh, the number of young people who wrote to me who actually were really concerned about their parents drinking, right? Who emailed me and said, "Look, my mom is drinking two, three bottles of wine a day. I didn't know that that's what she was doing. What can I do?" Yeah. And I had quite often do that. So I think sometimes you know, it's about other people identifying, and then um, that uh, a person could be doing something in a risky way.
1: Yeah, and do you think there's an approach you can make if, say, that was happening to a parent of someone? Do you think there's something you could say to your parents?
0: Well, I think if it's a parent or a friend, I think anybody, I think you'd have to approach it very, very carefully. Um, um, And I I think it's about not actually passing judgement on anybody. We know (coughs) uh, know, the evidence says quite clearly that if you're going to actually approach anyone, you have to really say... um, well, uh, your behaviour, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about um, mm. your behaviour. Yep. Um, it's, it's not like um, uh, you know, telling... If someone is, is getting some kind of enjoyment or benefit out of doing something, you can moan, groan, tell anyone. It's like you know when you throw someone into a treatment centre.
1: Yeah.
0: That's never going to work. Yeah. It's only going to work if someone can identify they have a problem and then uh, want to do something about it
2: board, why not send us a voice message at anchor.fm or just send us a Facebook message at The Point of Difference Podcast. Um, so I guess I'd love to talk a bit about your social media following. You spoke about it before, was it 23,000 followers? Pretty amazing. Um, how have you grown your social media presence over the years? Oh
0: yeah, I was looking for a way of um, kind of you know, social media was so important to young people and I wanted a way to kind of connect with young people, um, yeah. that was safe to do as well. I think, you know, that's a great challenge that I face working with young people in that um, when you are working with underage young people, you've got to be very careful of the contact that you have. Yeah, You know, I, I get lots of emails from young people and, um, uh, you, you know, I always say if you want me to do anything or you want, you know, um, If they ask me to do, um, not not necessarily for advice, because young people are really, really smart. If they don't, um, um, they they do. You know, they create fake emails and and send me a question that is so personal that, um, um, and that that that's smart moving. But in terms of, I'm I'm waffling here, but. I wanted a way to work with young, to connect with young people that wasn't going to get me into trouble, and I thought Instagram was the safest. Yeah, okay. um, I could put um, images up and um, get images from them, and the DM part, yeah. I just make blanket rule. I don't respond to them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and it really grew. It grew very quickly. And um, so I remember you know, what have... you said
2: before, like after our, you said, follow my Instagram. So did you say that with all the
0: other students? So the, the yeah. following just grew and, grew and grew? And if you were in 2017, you were the very first kind of group. Cause yeah, because I, I remember when of... I followed you, it was 5,000 maybe. And it's just fun. Yeah. It's interesting, though. I've I've lost a lot, and it's interesting. I've spoken to a couple of other people. Um, I got a couple of um, good friends who are, you know, kind of celebrities, and they've said they are blown away at how many um, how many followers they've lost through COVID nineteen yep. through the pandemic. I think people just sat and kind of cleared up their, yeah. <laughs> their Instagram accounts. The content's um, What's going
2: on? Got, uh,
0: I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> they've looked at the. Uh, Am I still going in and out? No, you're here. No, you're here. Oh, cool. No, so I, I think um, over the last couple of months I've, I've lost, oh, about 600 followers or something, which is really unusual. I mean, mm. I kind of, yeah, I, um, I, I go up quite, I, I went up, I was expecting to be about 30,000 now um, on um, stuff, but it's a joy. It's one of, the, yeah. one of the highlights of my, of what I do. Yeah. Like Every Saturday night, up to the beginning of lockdown, yeah. I had built up almost getting a uh, one hundred, at least a hundred, its water time photos every Saturday. Oh, I night.
2: love that because you always post every Friday or Saturday night. I'd always look forward to that, you know. Yeah, yeah your, your one line quote, you know, little quotes that you put on there, and
0: always like gets the night yeah. going. <laughs> and it was, you know, uh, that some of the photos that young people send me and yeah. I don't know if you I don't I'm not on TikTok but a whole part of kids have sent me there's a whole section on TikTok of Paul Dillon ah. TikTok that young people have made which I occasionally get sent to me and it just blows my mind I mean it's just amazing that you know a 15 16 or 17 year old actually thinks enough of me that they would do that and they're always respected. I mean, that's one of the most amazing things. I think I've only ever had one really nasty comment on an Instagram post that I did. And um, I can't remember what it it was. It wasn't very nice. And what happened was afterwards, there were like about 50 young people who just came and just attacked and said, you know, how dare you say this? And it was just... Good. Quite incredible. I didn't yeah. have to really delete I just left all these really nice things afterwards. <laughs> I think that's more because of
1: the way you've built the rapport with the people that you talk to. I think you've, you know, got a really good brand going where it is a very positive culture. It's not, you know, so much as don't do this. It's more, okay, well, I know you're going to do this, but just so you know, this is what can happen. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, well, I think um, it's... Uh, uh, as I said, uh, when I kind of made, when my uh, cousin said to me, people give me information that they think I need rather than I want, yeah. it kind of shifted everything and um, that kind of trying to make it a positive message. I mean, look, the, the truth is that, um, you know, I can't, um, I can't stop I could do the scariest talks in the world and it's not going to stop anyone doing what they want to do. Um, but if even just one young person on a Saturday night goes, oh, yeah, Paul, Dylan said that, you know, to do this, and it just makes a tiny bit of difference in one person's life, my God, I'm I'm a really, really lucky person to be given that opportunity. So...
1: um What are some of your best memories with going to these schools and, like, have you got, you know, specific moments that you remember from some of these times you've talked to schools?
0: Oh, too many. I mean, um, I can think of a couple of from Caulfield, to be quite honest. Please help. (laughs) No, but, I mean, I think, you know, um, sometimes you get really heartbreaking things happen, really heartbreaking things. You meet young people who have just, I mean, have had the worst things happen to them. Um, And I always say to young people, I've got a duty of care. Um, If you tell me something that has happened, you've done something illegal or someone has done something to you, um, I have no choice. I must report you. I mean, I have a duty of care. And, um, you know, the number of young women who've come up to you and very sadly a couple of years ago, quite a couple of young men who've been sexually assaulted when they were drunk, that to me, that's most probably the, the whole issue of sexual assault and consen- consent and everything else around yeah. that. Um, uh, it's kind of like an, I hate using the term epidemic, but it really is. Yeah. Um, there is. It happens so often, and so many young women never, ever report it. And for some reason, when I've given my talk, sometimes they wanted to come up and just go and just kind of drop it on uh, and say, and share it with me. And um, that's a that's a pretty amazing experience. Um, very, very tough because yeah. when you actually have to report uh, sexual assault, that's really not a pleasant experience. And um, but that's amazing. I think um, the whole Instagram thing and that kind of um, the response you get from young people—that's really, really fantastic too. And then even kind of having guys like you three years after I finished. Um, you know, the last time you heard me speak, who yeah. still kind of remember something about yeah. what? Like, that's uh, that's pretty. That's pretty. Um, makes you feel pretty damn good.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, I guess we've um, you've done a few media gigs in the past, such as Sunrise. Um, today in the project, from from what I've read.
0: Um, what what were they like? Well, I mean, I used to be many, many, many years ago back in the. Um, um, I think uh, I started 1994, I started on Triple J and oh, I did that nice. for uh, well over a decade. What did you do on Triple um, J? Well, I used to, I mean, everyone knows Dr. Carl. Well, yeah, hey, I
2: listened um, to him this morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, there was Dr. Carl and yeah. I do Wednesdays. I used to do Fridays. Um, no It yeah, used to be a morning show. It was called The Morning Show. Yeah. And I did Fridays. I did it Fridays for, oh, I was I was there for over a decade, really? um, and um, every Friday we used to choose a different drug or choose a different kind of topic, and then we'd have people ring in and talk about their their experiences. I mean, look, you could not get away yeah. with um, a um, uh, a segment like we used to do.
1: I think that's really, a bit unfortunate unf- as well because it sort of stops the conversation from being open. Like, obviously, those things can be quite important to have.
0: It was. I still today, it doesn't no matter where I go, you'll get young, you'll get people come up. <laughs> I say young people, not young people anymore. But they'll come up and they'll go, oh, I listen to you. I'm Triple J all the way through my teens. Hi. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And um, wow. I stopped. I, it was a really interesting reason that I stopped. It was um, the morning show stopped and then they went to kind of hack uh, when hack yeah. started. Yes. Um, and um, they... <laughs> Uh, the, the producer came up and said, "Look, we're just doing a bit of a, we're doing a bit of a cu- kind of a clean out, and um, we're trying to, you know, make it a bit more youth focused, and we're going to look for someone for from drugs who's a bit, who's a bit more, uh, a bit younger." And right. I went, "Look, that's fine, I understand." Oh, but Doctor okay, okay. <laughs> <up> Carl is <laughs> <was> bloody one hundred and fifty. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say. <laughs> I look at I look at Carl and I think, oh, God, yeah. he's so old." i don't mean, oh, know. know. <laughs> Compared to him, I was going
1: to say, oh, who relates uh, more to kids? Bloody hell! <laughs>
0: but I, 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 um, I kept doing Triple J for a period of time. Yeah, um, I pulled out. I used to, you know, um, your parents would most probably, um, kind of remember me more than you would ever, because mm. back in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, I was on everything. I literally mm. was on TV every week. I used to, um. I, you know, there was a program called um, Midday with Kerry ann Yeah. I was killer on that. What? Um, but, um, yeah, I, I used to do so much media. What did but, you do? So,
2: what was the specific things you did on those shows? Was it just talking about drugs and alcohol? Yeah,
0: it was when, you know, if someone, uh, um, a lot of it was news, so if someone uh, someone died okay. um, and it was a drug that people didn't know very much about, I would talk about it. You were the
2: expert, it, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was kind of seen as like the um, people used to call me kind of like the drug guru kind of. Yeah. Thing. Uh, but amazing. then it was interesting because I did that for so many years, and and it was terrific because it gave me a a, a profile which yeah. was really really fantastic. But um, I kind of pulled away from it um, because of one simple thing, and it was really the the whole ice epidemic thing that kind yeah. of happened. Um. Because um, the media just went nuts, um, and you know, I've been I've been doing media since 1994, mm. so it's a long time. Yeah, and um, we just saw this dramatic shift in how the media dealt not only with drugs but any social issue. It mm. all of a sudden became you. It became black and white. There was no shades of grey. Yeah, um, couldn't. Um, You you ended up, you know, news now is not ever, news stories used to be three minutes long. They're Mm -hmm. now, if 90 seconds, you're lucky. Some of of the news stories are shorter than that. Everything grabs. And the trouble with everything around alcohol and other drugs is that it's not as simple as black and white. There's a whole part of shades of Mm grey. And the trouble with ICE is that they wanted, um, the media wanted, a very specific message, that it was getting out of control, everybody was doing it, it was incredibly cheap, it was everywhere. Mm. And um, I would say, well, that's not actually true. The evidence says that, you know, the vast majority of the population is not using ice. Uh, People who are are really, really problematic. And and what would happen is I'd spend, and one of you is doing media, I can't remember, oh, you have. uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, um, I would spend some time doing an interview. You could spend up to an hour with, a, um, you know, some j- journalists. Yeah. Uh, well, be able to do it now with the 24-hour news cycle. It's about 40, 45 seconds you get with them. <laughs> but I would spend an hour doing an interview and they yeah. wouldn't print a word that I said. Or um, if I did a TV thing, they wouldn't use any grabs. And the reason was it didn't fit their narrative. Wow, yeah. And so I just... Up going, yeah. I don't need this. I yeah. really don't need. This. If they want to find someone to say what they want to say, that's great. But um, yeah, so I pulled away. I've done a bit. I've done a bit in the last 12, 18 months. Mm. I was very much involved with the um, the coroner's the coroner's um, New South Wales coroner's inquest into the ecstasy MDMA deaths um, okay. that yeah. and I did a lot of media around that. And I've done quite a lot of media around ecstasy and MDMA festivals and, and pill testing and everything over the past 12 months. But, yeah, yeah I kind of re, I kind of retreat. I do more student things now, student media yeah. and journalism than anything else because I know you guys, you can contact people and you don't get any response. Um, yeah, so yeah when well, really we got sure. a response
2: from you, wow, <laughs> the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, thank you. But, yeah, I mean, I've... I used to say to, I say to any person who um, is an expert in their field, I say, mm-hmm. look, if you get contacted by journalism students, yeah, it's a bit of a pain to kind of do it, you know, sometimes, but do it. <laughs> because It will pay you, you will get paid back in uh, tenfold because back in the day I had, if ever I wanted a story up, I had all these people who, you know, you know there are people like... Um, Georgia Gardner, Natalie Barr, a whole pile of people who are now very, very high profile, I yeah. met them when they did their first media stories. Really? And wow. there are, there's a couple of, um, you know, quite high up people in, um, um, in Fairfax now who I gave their very first interview as a journalism wow. student. and they all, all you journalism students remember you absolutely remember anyone who helped you along the way, yeah, and um, you're a contact
2: that, for all them now because they remember you.
0: Yeah, and the thing is with it because I don't, I, I don't do as much media now. If anyone ever contacted me, it's the same as, as I'll say to you now. You know, mm. if ever you go, oh, I don't know who to talk to about this. You know, contact me and say, look, um, there's this issue. Who do you know anyone who I could go to? And um, yeah. I, if I don't, if it's not my area of expertise, I certainly flick it across to somebody who, yeah. who, um, who 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 would know.
1: Yeah. Now, I guess to sort of summarise, and I know that a lot of um, your job is just busting myths about drugs. What are some of the worst myths or misconceptions <laughs> you have heard about drugs and alcohol?
0: Oh God. <laughs> That's
1: tough one. like some of the ones that are more popularized by, say, people talking about it. Bread.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean all those kind of the, the old standard ones that I use to kind of talk. I'm, about no, I'm talking, I'm
1: talking more Honestly. by like educators <laughs> and people who are thinking they know about this sort of stuff.
0: Um, look, I think what concerns me at the, mo- at the moment around, um, around drugs or, or did before lockdown, I think everything has changed now. Uh, you know, the whole world around alcohol and other drugs and socialising and all that kind of stuff, we've seen such a significant sh- a seismic shift yeah. where a whole pile of drugs that would be typically used Realistically, if anyone's using XS, your MDMA at the moment, it's like, why? I mean, really, what are you doing with it? You're <laughs> going to go take it in your bedroom. I mean, that's a bit weird. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what a waste of your money. I mean, it would just be very strange. But um, but I think that's most probably the drug um, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year that most concerned me um, in terms of mythology. Yeah, and what yeah. I mean by that is a group of, um, there is, you know, a core group of people who see, um, we now have the kind of a, the purest MDMA we've had in decades. Yes. Yeah. Every bit of evidence we have says that um, we're seeing very pure forms of MDMA. Which makes people worse.
1: it. Pardon? Make it worse sometimes, kind of, because it's more.
0: Well, people people believe. Well, if it's pure, if it's high high quality, then it must be it must be good. And as I always say to people, you know, if I said, "Oh, here's a gram of pure heroin," I don't think anyone would look at that and go, "That sounds really fantastic." Yeah, I think most people would go, "Ooh, yeah, that sounds a bit scary." Purity doesn't necessarily mean that it's safer. It just means that it's purer. And the trouble is when it's pure, it's high quality, there's a potential for you to overdose. Now, overdose does not mean necessarily die. Overdose means over the dose and get sick. Um, But the trouble is we have seen deaths. We've seen more deaths around the world, um, ecstasy, MDMA-related, than we've ever seen. And my concern and the biggest mythology, the biggest myth amongst very, you know, uh, festival-goers in general is that, um, you know, MDMA... Can't kill you. I've, I keep hearing that. Uh, you know, it's it's so ludicrous that anyone could think that. Now, do many people die from it? No, of course not. But when you have people that are doing things like double dropping, triple dropping, mm. taking all five, six in a night, taking them at a festival where there are ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people and it's 42 degrees, yeah. I mean, it's just a nightmare about to happen yeah. and I think it's about trying to get and then you know the whole pill testing thing is confused stuff as well you know if I test it and I know what it is and it's okay no you know what it is that's all doesn't mean you know that it's that it's actually that you are you're not going to have any problems with it mm-hmm. and that's um pill testing certainly doesn't tell you that you're not going to have any problem so there's I could go drug by drug by drug by drug by drug and I could say, look, there's mythology everywhere. Yeah. But the problem is that, you know, if you are, if you're of a certain age and you're, you know, you're um, hanging around, you've got certain subculture, don't matter what anybody tells you, you just, yeah. you're not going to budge some people's views. and And that's because realistically as i always say young people have been lied to for so long about alcohol and other drugs yeah. so long we try to scare scare young people and we tell them the worst possible scenario and then multiply it by 100 yeah and hope that that's going to stop you or scare you from um, from using it yeah and you can only cry wolf so many times mm-hmm. and if you keep saying to people this is going to kill you this is going to kill you you know I mean if when you talk about ecstasy in schools ecstasy MDMA in schools and you say this is a drug it will kill you well if, um, the first time a young person goes to a nightclub or a festival and there's no dead people <laughs> they're going to go well is someone's been telling me a lie and when they when you actually kind of uh when you lie about one drug Everything else, it's like a domino effect, and all of a sudden, everything else that's been said is kind of. Oh, um, (laughs) Sorry, I
1: was saying, oh, meth's safe as
0: well. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's and and that's it. I mean, all of a sudden, everything was kind of crumbled. So, I don't think it's a surprise that there's mythology around drugs, but it's, um. I think if we were just a little bit more sensible and we didn't go down, I think one of our big mistakes is that a lot of the the information that we deliver to the public around um, particularly illegal drugs is delivered by police officers Mm. and that's kind of a dumb thing to do Mm. because, you know, I think most people would think, well, police aren't going to necessarily tell us the information we want. They're going Mm. to tell us the information to try to stop us using it,
2: So to, to summarise it all up, with uh, with coronavirus restrictions, um, what have you been up to and um, what does the future hold for, um, for Paul Dillon?
0: Uh, well, um, it, it's been an interesting time. I, I'm very, very lucky. I um, I own two apartments. So um, I live upstairs then I have another apartment, which is my the bottom one for my office. Oh, wow. So yeah. I've got a lot of space. So when we went to lockdown, um, I was not living in, I've got friends of mine who basically were living in like seven by ten room. Yeah. I mean, there was studio, there were a lot of studio apartments in uh, Sydney and, um, um, yes, so I had quite a lot of space. But what I did was I kind of, you might be able to see that in the corner, but I made this kind of big board and I stuck all these, I put jobs um, that I could do around the house, you know, all these kind of things that I could do. Um, business-wise in terms of stuff, and um, I've just basically gone through that. I, I, I have read. I thought I knew a lot about drugs before. Mm. I know so much about drugs now because I've read so much stuff. I, it, it's just been amazing, and, and yeah. I've kind of updated all my talks. I've read a lot. And now I'm, I'm doing a lot of online lo- online presentations. to yeah. lovely. Well, sounds good uh, um, yeah. Which isn't it? it's as great as, you know, face-to-face stuff um, yeah. because I love feedback from young people. But um, it's, uh, it's kept me busy, kept me off the streets.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you um, a lot for coming on. It's very interesting. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will find some of this stuff really interesting to hear about. So, yeah, thank you. For Thanks so on. much, Paul.
0: Thank you, guys. It's um, a really great pleasure. And, uh, um, and thank you so much for remembering me from three years ago and even considering asking me to be a part of this. All the best to both of you and um, um, wish you well in your, in your studies in the future. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks, you Paul.
1: Too. Cheers. Yeah.
2: Who do you want us to interview next? Comment or message on Facebook for your requests. Have a great day.